Hola, bro chachos. Welcome to the Evidence Podcast, the podcast where real people share real stories to show real evidence of a very real God. Recording from Knoxville, Tennessee, I'm your host, Daniel Brooks. And joining me from New Haven, Connecticut, JT Shavers. Hey guys, so you stole Jordan's Hola, bro chachos. So I now everyone's going to think, yeah, that like Jordan's the one who started the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I did steal Jordan's Hola, bro chachos. Because Jordan is not with us today. He had a last minute thing come up, so he's not going to be able to join us today. But we will continue on as usual. Today's recording is March 3rd, 2022. So if it seems like some of our stories are behind date, that's because it is. And (laughs) as always, we do have a great episode in store for you today. So thanks for choosing to hang out with us. Uh, JT, how's life, man? How's it been going? Man, it's been going good. It's been uh, busy, but we finally, I got up to 40 degrees up here in New Haven. And so the snow is finally, finally melting off uh, after like two weeks on the ground. So I'm finally seeing some grass in here, which I was missing. I didn't realize how much I missed it. <laughs> it's just all you ever see is white. <laughs> and it's, it's yeah, a we've, boring gotten, after a while. we've gotten a few snows this year in Knoxville. I think we've had three or four and it, it's here one day and gone the next. But yeah, uh, we had our first day of spring yesterday officially okay. not official i don't know if it was 75 but it felt like it It was sunny and beautiful it couldn't have been a oh, prettier yeah. day we were talking about just how god's showing off yesterday it was great yeah. so I, I could use that because <laughs> yeah. it's been brown and then snowy white and muddy the whole well, time come on here, down so. Yeah. yeah i'd like to well let's go ahead and jump right in with our positive news this week so my positive news this week is sports related, but it has nothing to do with the outcome of our game or an athlete or anything like that. But a man by the name of Mike Cole, he woke up in his living room while lying on the sofa and the TV was still blurring because he had fallen asleep in the middle of the Kansas City Chiefs versus LA Chargers. And he decided to log onto his phone and kind of see what he had missed since he had fallen asleep during the game. Well, when he was looking up the stats and all of the highlights of what had already happened while he was sleeping, he saw a headline that grabbed his attention and it had showed that there was a ticket stub from Michael Jordan's 1984 NBA debut. So Michael Jordan, greatest of all time, basketball player, same guy that saved the world with the tunes against the Monstars on Space Jam. <laughs> That's how you know him, JT. So yeah, yeah, um, that's what I've seen. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, he saw that that ticket stub had sold for a whopping price of $264,000. And it actually established a record for any vintage sports ticket as the highest selling sports ticket of all time. Cole sees that and he begins to think, wait a second. I was at that game. His hands start to shake and He's getting kind of excited. He's like, I think I know where my ticket stub is still. So he goes down to his basement and he digs through some stuff and finds that he has a ticket stub from that game. Can you imagine that you just fall asleep, wake up and realize, oh, I have one of the highest selling ticket stubs potentially to Uh, ever be sold. So then Cole decides to do some more research. He searches out some auction houses and he gets in contact with one. And so he puts the ticket up for auction with Heritage earlier uh, in the month of, I believe this was around January. And at that time, the current high bid was of $250,000 just for a ticket stub of a game he went to back in 1984. And so the auction did close on February 26th. And again, it's March 3rd. So four days ago, it was announced that 
The ticket stub for Michael Jordan's debut, it sold for a record of $468,000. Oh my gosh. So the one that he had woken up to and saw was the highest graded one. It sold in December for $264,000 and Cole's ticket just sold for $468,000. He literally woke up and realized I have almost a half a million dollars sitting in my basement right now. Man. See, and, and like my thing with stuff like that is like, at what point do we have to like acknowledge that we have a problem? Like somebody just spent more than most people's houses on a yeah. ticket stub. Yeah. Like, come on, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you go, Mike Cole. I mean, good that's for you, I, I guess. Can, that's yeah. all I can say to it is one of these right. days, I hope that I wake up and realize that I've got something worth half a million dollars yeah. as well. So yeah. go to as many debut games as you can. I, guess I do. The, I, that's what I'm trying to tell people. Right. You it's like an, athlete, it's an investment go to a game. I have stuff from different sporting events, but nothing of worth. So yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that was my positive news for somebody. And if you are listening to this and you've got old ticket stubs, but especially one from Michael Jordan's debut in 1984, yeah. then you, you've got some of your bills paid. Yeah, yeah. Go sell it. <laughs> Get rid of that thing. Uh, so my news, it isn't 100% positive, but it's also you know not a negative. But when we're recording right now, so the Russia invasion of Ukraine has been going on for about a week. And I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. So there's an article that I found, uh, but it's by a pastor in Ukraine. It's Vasil Astori, I believe is his last name. Name of the article is to stay and serve and then uh, why we didn't flee Ukraine. But this guy, so him and his family are pastoral staff at a church in uh, Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine. And they've been dealing with that. And as they've been talking about it, they were talking about how a lot of people are leaving the country right now. And a lot of people are trying to protect their families and do what they need to do to get out and just to make sure that they're not there in war. And so they're going to the borders. Kiev is apparently only about 150 kilometers from the border. And so they were talking about leaving. But, you know, one thing that this pastor was talking about and praying about through their church is the idea. And I want to do an exact quote here because I really liked it. But it's uh, if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. And him and his family made the decision to stay in Ukraine there to be able to help out their community, to be able to help the people. One of the things that he's facilitating right now is to do first aid teaching to the congregation. So he's got a congregation of about a thousand people. I'm sure a lot of them have probably left the country at this point, but he still has a pretty good sect of people that are staying at the church. So he's been teaching first aid to a lot of these people just to be able to help anybody who's wounded or to have a, a shelter for people to be able to stay at if something happens to their homes. Uh, they also stocked up on food and gas and other supplies to be able to distribute out to the community when needed to. You know, he says one thing is that he doesn't want his congregation and his church to be a burden on the area during this time of crisis, but they want to be a benefit. Pray for him and his family as they decide to do that. They are they are trying their best to be ministers in a, in a time of need for their country. And one of the things he goes on to talk about is when Christians can be relevant in a time of crisis, then they tend to to stick around and people will remember how they helped in a time of crisis. Yeah, for sure. I, I actually looked up. I was trying to see what positive news I could find in Ukraine coming from that, because with all of the unpositiveness of it, I wanted to find something that was good out of it. I haven't heard any unique stories. I mean, most of most of what I've heard is is what everybody else has heard, how God has still shown evidence and uh, his power and glory through all of it. I saw a picture of a bomb that literally hit in the middle of a square with a ton of apartment buildings and things around it and never 
detonated. The rocket's just in the ground. And so I thought that that was a cool moment of definitely a God thing. And then, of course, I know we have friends that are over in Ukraine. I know quite a few people that have gone over to try to, to help out. And we have friends that are even stateside whose family and friends are in Ukraine. And so I've gotten to hear from some of them. And it's just, it's been difficult all around. So we want to keep this segment positive, but there's a reality that there's unpositive things going on in the world. And we do want to shed a light on that as well. And now it's time for talk about it. Let's talk about it as the part of each episode where we, the host, will discuss a question or topic for a Christianity or faith. We hope that this segment is informational, transforming, intriguing, and encourages you to have a desire to learn more about who God is. If you have a question for us to discuss on an episode referring to Christianity or religion, feel free to message us at our Evidence Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, or email us at evidencemediagroup at gmail.com. For our Spotify listeners, you can even respond to our public question each week with your own questions, and it can be featured on a future episode. We'd love to hear from you and have you as part of our podcast. And with that said, JT, let's talk about it. This week's question is, what does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? I know down here in the South, it's very common to be told, go be in the world, but don't be of the world. And that creeps into the other verse of stay away from the appearance of evil. We see that there's people that refuse to have certain things. You won't even chew big league chew because it looks like tobacco products or ground up beef jerky when you see those little canisters of things. And I can remember growing up that, you know, even candy cigarettes, it's like, uh, it looks like the appearance of evil and we don't need to be of the world. We can just be in it. Some verses that go along with it. John chapter 15, verse 19. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. John 17, 14 through 16, as I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not. Paul talks a lot about it. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's Romans 12, 2. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 is put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God is in true righteousness and holiness. And yeah, that's, I mean, there's so many more verses I can go into about just how we're told to be in the world, but not of the world. And we just kind of wanted to dive a little bit deeper into that and our own personal thoughts of how we feel about that. So JT, if you want to go ahead and you can start talking on that if you would like. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I was actually kind of the one who brought up this question for us to talk about. And the biggest thing I, I wanted to refer to, so I, I know a lot of times Christians, we like to stay in our little bubble and, and we like to shelter things, especially parents with their kids. They want to make sure that their kids aren't exposed to things that, you know, maybe they don't understand or that they don't know. And I, I do think that that is a good thing and a responsible thing to a point, but I also think there's a lot of people who kind of inevitably take those things too far to where the kids aren't exposed to reality at all and like how people function and, and what happens in the world. And so when they're confronted with those things, a lot of times they don't know how to actually engage with those things. I mean, for example, how many people do you know that when they go off in college, 
they just kind of go off the deep end is like they're they're finally exposed to alcohol they're finally exposed to sex they're finally exposed to whatever and that can kind of draw them down and so they just jump into it without really understanding the consequences of those things and and a lot of times when that ends up happening it's because they weren't exposed to them earlier on in a more controlled setting which i, I don't i don't have kids so you know i always have to be very careful talking about parenting cuz Eventually, some parents are going to be like, well, you don't know what it's like to don't tell me how to raise my kids. And I'm not telling you how to raise your kids. But I do think it's important to have that exposure. And then also with us personally, if we are so detached from the world that we have no idea how to converse with people who are in the world, then you can't really be a witness. If you don't understand cultural references, if you don't understand musical references, if, if you don't really know what's going on in the media, then you can't really be a witness to people either because you've kind of detached yourself from reality and from what they're going through. And so, you know, I do think it's very important to be knowledgeable about what people in the world go to that aren't in the spiritual realm as far as from the ability of being a witness on that. But I also do think we have to shelter ourselves from the things of the world. So a couple of verses that I wanted to bring up uh, specifically James 4.4 4 says, you are an adulterous people. Don't you know that the friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's a general concept that Paul brings out, but he's talking about like, if you love the world more than you love God, or if you love the things of the world more than you love God, then that's a problem. And, and you will end up resenting God and loving the world. You know, it's the same principle of like a man cannot serve two masters. It's like you can't love everything of the world and, and the sin of the world and then also love the things of God because they're two different things entirely. And so keeping your mind and your heart focused on what God has for you and, and the things that God has in store for your life and the callings that he's placed on your lives and, and what he gives you, keeping that love focused on that instead of the things of the world and the things that we pursue. And, and I mean, we do that all the time. Obviously, somebody spent half a million dollars on a freaking ticket stub, which is nothing more but in the world. But it's like, I can name you a thousand nonprofit organizations that could have used half a million dollars for a ton of things that would have been good, positive things to the world, but that they didn't have that. And so it's, it's keeping your mind and your focus on, on the things of God. And, and that's where we all have to kind of monitor that ourselves and then what we're wire of ourselves and what we allow in our lives. I would never tell somebody like, hey, don't go watch the Marvel movies because they're of this world and they're not edifying to Jesus. It's like that is something in our culture. It's also something that it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's not like the Marvel movies introduce Satan into your lives. I mean, they're a secular form of entertainment. And I don't think it's bad of you as an individual to engage with those things. The difference is, is like, what do you serve? You know, are you putting other idols before God? be it sports, be it actual idols where you're, where you're worshiping different things, but, but whatever you're placing for God and wherever your heart and your mind is like that, I think is the essence of what the Bible is kind of arguing against. And then keeping yourself as a Christian separate. When people look at you as an individual, they should be able to know that there is something different about you because of the fact that you're a Christian, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be sheltered and, and cut off away from everything, but it, it does mean that there has to be a difference in the way that you present yourself and the way that you speak and, the, you know, a lot of things like that. So I think that's that's more or less what the principle behind that teaching is. You know, I can think of numerous times that I've had conversations with people and of this statement. And it does, like you say, it creeps into the media and the music that you listen to and watch. And, and I do relate it to, like I said at the beginning, that same quote of stay away from even the appearance of evil. 
And I began to do a little bit of research into that as well. So I guess we're kind of answering two questions or two phrases that we hear. I began to look into it and looked at other translations. The only translation that says to stay away from the appearance of evil is the King James Version. And everything else says stay away from all forms of evil or all kinds of evil or all evil. (laughs) I think that we focus too much on that one word appearance. And I began to think into Jesus's walk. I think into Paul's walk and his journey as well. When we look at him as such a, a great missionary, Jesus was for sure in the world. Was he of the world? No. I mean, he put to rest the things that were of the world, the things that the Pharisees would come to that they thought were scripture or that they thought was law or that they thought was the practice of what the church was supposed to do. And Jesus would challenge them and put that to rest because he was like, you know, these things aren't of God. These aren't of the church. This is of the world. So stay away from those types of things, such as greed and there's money and there's when he flips the tables because they're being greedy and selling things on the steps of the tabernacle. And so he shuts down a lot of the things that are of the world. When I start to look at Paul and his walks, I can remember that Paul goes into Rome and and then he begins to kind of do as the Romans do. That's where that quote, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? You know, he begins to kind of partake in some of their cultures. And that I think that we can be in the world, living in the world, enjoy things that are in the world, as long as they're not degrading who God is. I think that watching a sporting event is not a problem. I think loving a sporting event and putting that above your relationship with Christ and prioritizing that, that becomes a problem. I think that watching certain movies and media and stuff is not inherently of itself a problem. I think that we do have to watch, as we've had some other conversations before, that we do have to watch what is the content that we're putting into our hearts and our minds, because that's going to end up impacting us much greater than just, oh, I enjoy the beat or I enjoy the theme of this show or movie. When I start to think, what does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? I'm thinking we're in, we're placed here in the world. This for now is, I guess, our home. You know, our home is for sure going to be heaven and a new earth later in our eternity. But for now, this is where God has placed us. If I were to shut off from all of the world, what good is that? If I were to shut off from every person that's out there, because I think, well, they're sinners and they're evil, then I'm also not edifying and glorifying God by doing that. It's like you said, I think you brought it up where you were talking about there are certain things that are cultural and it may even be entertainment culture that when we know it, that helps us to relate. That helps us to, to see that, you know, find common ground just to start conversations. I mean, there's people that I have numerous times had conversations with about specific types of music and specific artists within those genres. And, you know, it may not be music that I would necessarily condone, but I knew about it and I knew about their interests. And that led me into conversations that eventually did lead into more spiritual conversations to where I could actually tell them about Jesus. You know, the amount of conversations I've had about rap music, because for whatever reason, that's what everybody chooses to talk about, because rap music is so often perceived to be a terrible music or like not, not I'm not talking about the, the style, although JT, you may have your feelings. But I'm talking about the content of which it has. You know, a lot of times it's about killing people or glorifying money or sleeping with many women or whatever. That's often what is related to rap music. When I'm on the side of rap music is just a genre. It's a style. What you speak about in the rap music is an object of your heart and your mind. And so I'm like, there's numerous artists that are of rap music. You can enjoy rap music and still believe in God. And there are many, many artists out there that are glorifying God with their lyrics. 
and the style is just rap. And I bring this up because so often we begin to think, well, I don't, I don't like that because it sounds like the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, of course it sounds like the world. That's what we're living in. We're going to sound like the world. But when you begin to look at the root of it, it's like, yeah, rap music sounds like the world at times. But if you begin to look at the heart and the lyrics of it, sometimes there's some rap music that are performed by Christians that the lyrics are just as heavenly based or just as scripturally based as that red church hymnal that you have. Mm-hmm. And we judge that because we think, well, it's got the appearance of evil or it looks like the world. So I'm not going to be condoning that. But there are people out there that because it looks like the world or because it sounds good. And this is why another kind of topic This is why I think it's so important for Christian media, Christian movies and stuff to stop being so cheesy, (laughs) because if Christian media and Christian TV shows or Christian movies would look more at their quality, try to take some pride and some effort into their production, then they're going to be able to reach people that look at that kind of things. So often people are turned off by that, including Christians, and we miss certain messages that God may be trying to tell through these stories that are being told in movies and, and TV shows. And we are turned off of it because I can't, I can't take how the production's been. Mm -hmm. And so often we're like, well, that's not important. It's important what the message is. Well, if I can't even get to the message because I can't take the quality of it, because we're trying to stay so different from the world, then it's meaningless and void. That does lead me back into, like I was talking about with, you know, Paul, he, he knew that when he goes into Rome, that he's not going to be accepted into Rome to the point that people aren't going to listen to him because he seems so weird. And a disclaimer of that is, yes, we are called to be different. We are called to be weird. That is very biblical. There are numerous verses about it. Talks about you're going to be persecuted because you're weird (laughs) and because (laughs) people don't understand. And that's not putting to void that, but we're weird enough already because of our faith and because we believe things that can't be seen. Then it comes down to the point of, you know, how culturally relevant must we be and must we stay to where we can reach people? You know, I, I guess that's. That's where I think about it. I'm like, you can be in the world. You can enjoy the things of the world. You can do things and be around people that are going to make it seem like you're in an evil place. I, again, with that, that quote of stay away from the appearance of evil, I think about how Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Mm-hmm. And he was in places and with people that, that the religious are going to call him a sinner. And we're going to call him unclean or unholy, or if you really are the Messiah, the son of God, then why are you hanging out with that person? He had that appearance of evil in that moment, as I would think some people would think in today's times, they'd be like, well, that's somebody that he hangs out with. So he must do what they do or hang out with what they do or whatever. But how are those people going to be reached and ministered to if we're not willing to go because we're worried about how it's going to look to other people. And we're worried about how, how we're going to be perceived in that because God knows what you're doing. God knows your intentions. He knows why you're hanging out with certain people that you're hanging out with, why you're doing certain things that you're doing. And if it's something that you have felt like you have spoke with God about and have been with God with, then yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong, I think, with hanging out with people that may be perceived as evil. That's why you have pastors going into jails, because those people are perceived as evil, but that doesn't mean that they're a lost cause. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's my big thing. Of course, we're here in the world. You're going to be exposed to things of the world. When it talks about not being of the world, I think that you hit the nail on the head that it, you know, it is more so about not partaking in things that are not edifying or glorifying God. Yeah. And one more story just to 
before we finish off this topic, there's a personal experience that I've had that kind of relates to this topic is when I was in Kenya, I took a moment just to go down to Diani Beach, which is just white sands, blue waters, beautiful place. And I stayed at this treetop hotel, it was like they called it tree houses. But as many hotels in Kenya, many hotels all over the world are, there is a bar and a like I guess you could almost say like a cafe. So it sells food and it would sell, of course, typical bar. And I went there and being a single guy and no one else around, um, I wasn't there with a party or anything. I just went there alone. I just sat at the bar counter and I would kind of talk with the bartender or whatever. And I drink a ginger ale or one of those, there's like a lemon drink that they have there. It's like if you've ever had squirt here in the States, it's a soda, both drinks, non-alcoholic, but um, man, it's so good. Anyway, that's just, that's beside the point. But I'm sitting there at the bar and at this time I was trying to read through the Bible. So I brought the Bible with me and was just kind of writing in it and reading it through. And a lady walks up to me and she goes, are you, are you reading the Bible right now? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I'm just staying here and you know, this is the only place I can get Wi-Fi and a charger. And so she's like, oh, okay. And so through that, long story short, she begins just to pour out her heart and tell me her story. And I got to pray with her. I got to just let her know that she has value and purpose and is loved. And she just got to be seen and she just got to be heard right where she was. She wasn't staying there. She came to the bar because that's just what she does after work. And I can just think that if I was so concerned about staying away from the appearance of evil or not being in the world or, or even of the world, because sitting at the bar at times, that can really look like I'm of the world. Because I could have sat anywhere in the in the building. I could have sat at one of the tables that was off. It just seemed like a lot of space for one person. So um, I can just think that I would have missed out on this opportunity to have impacted her life. And I just feel as Christians, as if Jesus is being a friend of sinners, that's what we should be a friend of sinners. Um, these people around the world that don't know Christ are not going to just show up at church's door all the time. Sometimes it's going to take us going out and being in the world. And I think that what it means when it says be in the world, not of the world, it means to go into these places, go into these dark areas, be a light. That's what you're called to be is be a, be a light of this world or God is the light of this world. So let his light shine through you, but it's going to take you going into these dark places. Sometimes it's going to take you looking like you have an appearance of evil. But if that's where God is calling you to be and you know that you can can handle it, don't go into a place that's going to cause yourself to stumble. But if you know that you can go into these dark places and be a light, be an impact on the people that are in there, then by all means, go, go do it because that's what we're called to do. And so when we think do not be of the world, be in it, then be in it, go out there, be in it. And in some ways, relate if you can. (laughs) to being of it. But yeah, I think that's just what it really means is just go to these places, go into these dark areas, but don't necessarily partake in the things that are going to cause your own self to stumble and cause you to disappoint God. And it's time for our special guest of the week. And this week's guest is extremely special to me. He is a pastor in Kingston, Ontario, and I would even say all over the world. He has a wife, he has two boys, and a beautiful daughter, and I'm allowed to say that because she is my wife. He owns a few businesses with his family as well, and him and his wife have been married for 25 to 30 years, so that's what we're aspiring for as well. 
but it is my father-in-law, Jim Fair. Thank you for that generous intro. Excited to be here. Excited to be sharing my testimony with you guys today. I love what you're doing. It's awesome. I, I think our testimony is important. I think there's such power in our testimony. We know what Revelation says about, you know, we've overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. So that's really important that we get to know and are able to share in a condensed version how we met the Lord. Like what, how, what was our life like before? how we met Jesus and how he's in our life today. And so I hope you caught that. We met Jesus. I didn't need a denomination. I didn't need a religion. I didn't need any more do's and don'ts and duties and obligations and customs and all that stuff. If I was going to give my life to anybody, if I was going to give my life to the Lord, I wanted to know exactly who this person was. And when I did, and when it was shared with me, exactly who Jesus was. It was like, man, I was going to clubs, pursuing a life in professional golf, smoking, trying to hide it from Cindy, my wife, all these things. But the man who introduced me to the Lord, to Jesus, never told me to stop doing any of those things. It was really, really different than what you would imagine witnessing or, or talking to somebody about the Lord. It was introducing the person to Jesus, not adding Jesus to your life, but surrendering your life to the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I thought that was so cool because he never once told me to stop going to clubs, stop smoking, even though he wanted to. But the closer I got to the Lord Jesus, I didn't want to be in those places any longer. I didn't want to go to those places. And that was so important because the Lord, I had to walk with him so he could show me personally why I didn't need that anymore. I never needed that. So, hey, listen, I could tell you evidence of so many different things, but the main thing that impacted me the greatest when I gave my life to the Lord was I went from a person that lived for myself only and would not let people close to me. And after I met the Lord, wow, I was not prepared to be so vulnerable, transparent, and yet be so full of joy and peace. I was not prepared for that at all. I resisted it because everything about me did not want to give up control. So let me start really quickly. I knew just enough about the Lord Jesus, enough about God through my mom and friends to make me miserable. I never, ever had no intentions of giving my all to God. So before I was even saved, the Lord spoke to me. I wasn't even a Christian. I hadn't committed to him or anything. And he spoke to me right in a DMV, a Department of Motor Vehicle branch. He spoke to me right there, what he expected of me. I haven't even met the man yet. And he told me, he said, Jim, I want all of you. And it's not like I heard an audible voice. It was something that was in my heart, my spirit. And I just didn't know how to deal with that kind of strong impression. I asked the Motor Vehicle branch, paid for my license plate. He handed me my plate perfectly. And it said, A-L-L-362. I'll never forget that moment. I made a fast connection with the Lord right there. The guy thought I was whacked. He thought it was, what is wrong with this guy? I'm staring at my license plate and it says A-L-L. Moments before, the Lord said, I want all of you. It just was that kind of light bulb moment for me. And ever since then, and I was living in a different province in central Canada, and by the way, just you know, for the listening audience, we are not the frozen chosen anymore. God is moving up here. Yes, we've got a lot of things happening, but at the same time, the Spirit of God is moving. So keep praying for us. You know, we need and love all your prayers. But living in central Canada, God speaks to me like this, and it starts to just irritate and agitate me like crazy. So I knew just enough about God to make me miserable. 
spending most of my life chasing this dream of playing professional golf was something that I was moving hard toward and was going to be in some capacity my future. And so here's a journey. I'm chasing and pursuing golf. I moved to Ontario from central Canada where I have this experience with, with the Lord, still have not given my life to the Lord. And I met my wife there and in still pursuing professional golf, played some tournaments in the States back and forth. Cindy and I decided to get married. And right off the bat, I mean, it didn't take long. There were obviously some uh, conflicts and, and some issues. I'm running from God. I don't want to surrender my life completely. And I think that chasing professional golf, the pursuit of that is more important than anything else. So we agree to get married. And I got to tell you, within seven years, I made such a mess of that. We got to a point where we were a signature away from divorce. And the scary thing, it didn't bother me as badly as it bothered Cindy. And that's the thing. When you live for yourself, you know, that's all you see. You don't see others. You don't see anything else. And that's all I could see is just my own dreams. I had no idea I was hurting my wife as much as I was. Looking back on it, sometimes I just go, wow, who was that person back then to be able to do all that? It's amazing how God still loves us and still draws us to himself, no matter what our history is and how bad it is. Seven years later, after I'm a signature away from divorce, we're not living together. I made a terrible mess of all that. I'm just, wow, this is not what I thought it would be. At the same time, even though I was a signature away from a divorce, I was still trying to pursue golf. Then all of a sudden, I have another encounter with the Lord. And this time, when I have this encounter, I'm all by myself in the house. All of a sudden, I could feel the presence of the Lord like never before. And what I mean by that, I just all of a sudden was aware of what I have done with the relationships that were put in my life, specifically my wife. I became so aware of that. I literally just kind of fell down on the kitchen floor and I just started to cry. And I'm, I'm, I don't cry. I'm not a, a sobbing kind of guy. You could attest that back to having a praying grandmother, a mom, my wife praying, all of these things. But there came a moment where everything started to crash around me. My marriage, my pursuit of golf, that wasn't working out. All of those things come crashing down. And it's funny how sometimes when we feel like we're right on our back, we got nowhere else to turn. That's the moment in a crisis when we see God show up in our lives and he's still willing to turn it all around and help us. Well, right at that moment was my tipping point and I gave my life to the Lord. From that moment on, things changed drastically. Up until that point, the biggest evidence of the old nature of the old gym fair was the simple fact that I would not let people close to me. I would live for myself. I gave my heart to the Lord and I can't tell you, I started to notice things. I started to be sensitive to things. I once noticed a guy that was riding on his bicycle, his tire went flat at a gas station. I would have never noticed that before. I got out of my vehicle and I, I said, hey, listen, let me give you a ride. Let's go buy you a brand new tire type thing. I would not even have noticed that before. All of a sudden, I'm seeing these things. It's like, wow, it's like a brand new world appeared. And how did I not notice these things? I was so ashamed of myself, embarrassed that I was just so selfish before. That's the biggest evidence that I can say firsthand how I knew that the tomb is empty and Jesus was actually living in my heart because I actually started to see and wanted to live for other people. Like it says in Philippians and Colossians, look out for the interest of others. Think more highly of other people than yourself. And I would just mock that and laugh at that. 
But now I know why, because this love that Jesus had for me while I was still a sinner and he didn't give up on me, all of a sudden I started to see the world in different set of eyes and I noticed things and had this love for people that I never had before. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, a love for my wife appeared that I'd never, ever felt before. Not a physical attraction, but a real, real love for her well-being, whatever that meant. Now, we're a signature away from divorce, so I'm expecting us fully to be divorced or whatever. And uh, I said, God, you can test me in this if you want, but even if I don't get her back, I don't care. I am still going to serve you. And I think that coming to that rock bottom place and really praying real prayers to God, he hears all of our prayers. But he acts on the ones that are re, really are sincere about when we say, God, no matter what the cost, no matter what the situation is, I'm going to still follow you. Well, it was a year journey. And sure enough, God started to work on Cindy's heart as he was continuing to work on my heart because she couldn't escape the fact that here's this selfish golfer that was more consumed with his golfing career than he was with his family. It blew her away. You know, God started to work in here because I tried to fix everything. I tried to help her see I'm changed. Hey, look, I jumping jacks, whatever it took. Hey, listen, I'm changed. I'm not the same person. She didn't care. The damage was done. I, I hurt her too deeply. And I just said, God, you know what? You're right. I turned her into this woman. She wants nothing to do with you. I turned her into this person that I don't even recognize now. That's how I knew there was proof that Jesus lived in, because it wasn't about me anymore. Now it was the other people in my life, family, friends, neighbors, whatever it was that I noticed. And so, again, when I talk about these encounters, these are not just one-time encounters. Our salvation, we can't stop there. It's not just about our salvation. It's about the next step that God has for us filling us with the Holy Spirit. Let me share this one scripture really quickly from Ephesians 3 that just keeps on. It's got so much gold if we mind for it. Ephesians 3 says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I mean, every time I read it, every day that I read it, it just means something even more special and more meaning to me because ultimately to know the love of Christ, you can have knowledge about things, but that ain't good enough. We need to know it personally. And that's why Saul went from a church killer to an evangelist that knew something about Christ and the resurrection of his power and all those things. And so that's what I feel like happened to me. I met the person of Jesus, the love that he had for me, and I couldn't wait to share that with other people in any expression that I could find. If it was just giving a pencil away or giving whatever or helping a guy with no bicycle tire, whatever it was, I just wanted people to know that I'm not the same person. And the capability that Christ gave me to not live for myself and to remind me we don't live for ourselves as Christians because we have the perfect model through Jesus that we live for others. And then we're going to see, we're going to see a powerful, powerful move of God when we shift from thinking about ourselves and constantly focused on ourselves. We keep our eyes on the Lord. And when we experience him in this way, we're going to see a harvest of souls that we've never seen before. So I'm excited about the future. I know I'm not perfect. I've got a long way to go. God still works on some things with me. You know, I mean, there's compassion, gentleness, kindness, all these kind of things. That's a da daily journey. But I just know that no matter how often I blow it, I run to him and not away because he already knows everything I've done anyway. Before we go, we want to give a quick evidence recommends from both of us hosts. 
And my recommendation for this week is gotquestions.org. And so I have ended up there numerous times, intentionally or unintentionally, because I, as we all can tell on these podcasts, have questions, of course. Um, So it's related to spiritual questions, Christian questions. There's even questions about like Catholicism and other, other religions as well and what they believe. And I, I like this website a lot, actually, because I feel like I can ask almost anything and somebody else has asked it and it has been answered. And it is not just answered with an opinion, but it is also answered with biblical foundations. So yeah, I just like gotquestions.org a lot because it has helped me with my own studies. And so don't be afraid to turn there and ask those questions. Yeah. And my recommendation, so, you know, I know this will be aired a few weeks after everything's been going on, but it it would really just be to, uh, you know, the concept of fasting and praying and, and specifically at this time for Ukraine, you know, and, and what's going on over there, because, you know, really God is the best thing that can intervene in situations like that. And, you know, the Bible tells us constantly to fast and pray, you know, towards things. And it's, it sets you up in a spiritual mindset and, and keeps you focused on whatever it is that you're supposed to be praying about for an extended period of time. But, you know, the whole concept is to keep yourself spiritually focused. And it is a physical discomfort, physical suffering in order to build up the spiritual aspect of that. And that's all for this week's episode. I'm Daniel Brooks. And I'm JT Shavers. And you've been listening to Evidence. Thanks for lending us your ears. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating and a review. If you didn't like what you hear, either way, we're glad that you stuck around. Still give it a review. We appreciate any kind of feedback you could give us. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. See you guys next week. Ciao. Ciao. (laughs) This has been an Evidence Media Podcast. (laughs) Dwong.